Welcome to another episode of the Pastor's Call Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Webb. Before we begin today's episode, I just want to thank the sponsor for this show. It is Blue Water Free Methodist Church, where I have the pleasure of serving. We are an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. Today, I'm so thankful uh, to have as uh, as my guest, uh, he is a on pastoral staff at Church for uh, Church for the Nations out in Burbank, California, but originally by way of uh, New York, New York. I want to welcome on Hag Kerlopian to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Joel. Well, uh, I want to thank you so much for taking the time jumping in. Uh, I know the time change of three hours or so, but appreciate you uh, joining me today. And so we're going to do what we always do. We're just going to jump right into it. Uh, I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself, some of your background, and what your initial uh, call was into pastoral ministry. Sure. Yeah, so I'm of Armenian descent. So um, Armenians like to brag about being the first Christian nation in 301 AD. After my ordination, I found out that I come from a long line of Armenian Orthodox priests. So that was cool to figure out. I have curly hair, and from the the line of the curly hair part of the the family is where these priests come from. So it's it's been really bizarre. After you're like six years into ministry, people ask you, "Is your uncle or is your dad a, a minister?" And the answer is, "No, no, no. I don't have any direct family in, in ministry." But then you find out afterwards you have a whole family lineage that goes all the way back in uh, what is now Central Turkey, in um in in, in a town town called Marash, um, but. Just to talk about my calling, I did grow up in an evangelical home. Uh, the Armenian Apostolic Church had a reformation um, called the Armenian Evangelical Union in 1846, uh, where 40 men and women in what is now Istanbul gathered to just bring reform. Main thing was to get the Bible and the vernacular language to the people. Uh, it led to a revival that broke out, um, but that revival was cut short uh, with the Armenian genocide that took place in 1915. So you have Armenians scattered all over the world. We have a long history of being persecuted for our Christian faith. Um, this is the background I belong to. Um, I got ordained as an Armenian evangelical and uh, pastored a church in New York City for 10 years. And I just recently moved out to uh, California a month ago to start a new venture in a multi-ethnic church um, in Burbank. Um, but awesome. to answer your question directly, um, my call into ministry happened uh, 10th um, into my sophomore year of college. So I was at a leadership conference uh, for Chi Alpha Ministries uh, for small group leaders. And during the worship service, I heard a very clear voice being spoken to me, like an inner voice uh, kind of confirming a whisper of, of sorts, like it's a thought but not my thought. Uh, preach, preach, preach was going on while the music was playing. So I think I'm losing my mind a little bit. And then my friend Chris Armstrong comes up to me. He lived on my floor. Great guy. He says, whatever God is telling you, go do it. And uh, another chaplain from um, MIT came. I don't know who he is till this day, but I know he was a chaplain from MIT. He came over and he said, is God telling you something? Like he kind of sensed, I guess the spirit was doing something. And I told him, I'm hearing the word preach, preach, preach. And he gave me the most spiritually spiritual advice you could ever get, which was like very pragmatic, which I love. He said, just read your Bible, know it well, start preaching, start teaching. And if people respond positively, keep doing it. If not, you may want to reconsider. <laughs> so it's I've been preaching and teaching man. for the past uh, 20 years now. Hmm. Hmm. Awesome. Well, 
sometimes the pragmatic advice is sometimes the best. You know, maybe yeah, I, 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 spiritual, I, but it works. The, when the, the spirit, yeah, I th I've, I've learned that the will of God is more practical than we like to admit. Sometimes we just, mm. yeah, he, 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 well, many times when he speaks in the Bible, he's like, go west. Okay, just stay, hang out here. Like, yeah. it's not really always pr super profound, but it, mm. it, it, it's where you need to be. Mm. Awesome. So uh, what's uh, some what's been some of that journey like then from that call uh, during that, that meeting to uh, starting kind of in a pastoral role, kind of what's been your journey through education or church positions and, and things like that for you? Yeah, so anyone is listening, if you feel that call, start doing it. Like, don't wait. Um, so I was a sophomore in college, so I still have to finish my undergraduate degree. And there's no like, I mean, there's Bible school and stuff, but you still need like an undergraduate degree to to go to seminary. So I, I ended up sticking around and doing political science and philosophy, um, uh, wrapped up that degree. But while I got the call, I started getting to work in the sense that I lived, led multiple small groups on campus. Mm -hmm. And I even taught at an Armenian apostolic, Armenian Orthodox Sunday school. Mm -hmm. So like my first teaching experience the, with the Bible was a bunch, like six sixth graders at an at a apost Armenian apostolic Sunday school. And I remember the first uh, like lesson, like the kids smelled like the fear and the insecurity of a young teacher who has no idea what he was doing. So I got so angry because they were just like controlled the they controlled they they just dominated me. Like I was I was not in control. I was the substitute teacher that moment. Like I felt like a loser. So I chucked the Bible on the ground. And in the Orthodox Church, you're not supposed to do that because it's you're supposed to kiss it and, and whatnot. So all these kids are saying kiss it, kiss it, kiss it. And I like lifted up the Bible. I'm like, you're disrespecting what's in here. And then like, I just kind of yelled at them. And then like, like that was like the defining moment of like, all right, I'm in control. I, the word of God gives me authority. Let me, let me just preach and, and, and just trust the calling. So that was my, my first like teaching experience, like with the scriptures. And then small groups happened, youth groups happened. Um, I was going to wait a little bit, work a little bit um, uh, right when I graduated. Um, with my degree, just kind of get some real world experience. Um, but it was 2008, so the recession just hit. It was really hard to find work. Um, I felt like I was overqualified for jobs or underqualified for jobs, and no one was really properly hiring. Mm -hmm. So then I was like, all right, let me just, I'm already doing youth group ministry. Um, uh, I might as well just apply and go to seminary ASAP. So then I went to Princeton Theological Seminary, um, kind of pursue theology I kind of always felt that was where I needed to be um I don't recommend I, I think you have to go where you, you feel led to go um uh, regardless of what people want to tell you or not tell you um a lot of people from the conservative side were telling me don't go um because it's like super progressive um I was like if a seminary is going to make me lose my faith then like I don't belong in ministry <laughs> um but super grateful for Princeton Seminary. I had ups and downs with it. They really deconstruct the Bible for you and then they rebuild it. Um, but I don't know where it's at these days, um, but I'm grateful for the experience. They're big on uh, like Karl Barth theology and stuff like that. Um, so I, I, I love that's I love learning the history and, and the history it has in the country. So I had a good time, um, but I did feel like it didn't equip me properly to do ministry, uh, but it did teach me the head knowledge I needed to just be educated so grateful for it um so after i finished princeton seminary um i went to uh 
uh, a church that I was given the keys to in the middle of the Empire next to the Empire State Building called the Armenian Evangelical Church of New York. That was 127 years old right now. And uh, it was pretty much about to close down. Uh, I was very naive at a seminary revitalizing a dead, dead church. And uh, we turned it around. Um, and uh, while going there, I was about to burn out after a few years, but then I went to Alliance Theological Seminary through the Christian Missionary Alliance to get my doctorate in ministry. And that, that actually didn't add it. It added stress in the sense that more work was required, but I felt like from the staff, I learned how to properly be a pastor, hmm. um, how to, how to have good, healthy soul, how to, how to learn from other pastors' mistakes, not to repeat, learn, learn, like really self-reflect. There's a lot of self-reflection and, and growth. And there's an openness to the Holy Spirit's activity in, the, in that seminary, which is rare these days. I feel like most seminaries are either far left or far right. It's hard to find the, like, the more middle ground uh, where it's just like, this is what the Bible says. Let's put it into practice yeah. uh, versus like uh, a hijacking from a political party on both mm -hmm. ends. Um, so really grateful for Alliance Seminary. Um, and uh, yeah, and then uh, felt the call to go out west and I'm out west. Well, and I'll just uh, kind of commentate for a moment. My dad's uh, doing his doctoral ministry program through Alliance Theological Seminary, and just to some of those things that you spoke about, especially dealing with soul care, have been deeply transformational for my own walk. Um, just reading some of the books and, and taking some of the principles that he, he learned from that has been uh, very life-giving, so I can certainly speak to that for Alliance Theological uh, Seminary, having not attended, but my, my dad who's who's wrapping that up. Uh, but I'd love for you to take a couple minutes and talk. Uh, it seems like a daunting task, freshly minted seminary grad now coming to a historical church to revitalize it. So not only are you are you learning the practical realities of, of being a pastor, but you're doing so in a church that really needs brought back almost from the brink. And so I'd love for you to take a couple minutes, talk about the process of that, maybe some of your stumblings and figures you things you learned from some of that but i'd love to hear a little bit about that from you yeah so i think when you're going into or you're whether you're attending a church that needs to be revitalized or you're called to a church that needs to be revitalized uh, i think it's important not to subtract anything from what they currently do uh people are okay with adding things um also just take it like natural that people don't like change it doesn't matter how like pro change you are it's still like stressful for like there's a psychological effect to change that includes like a weekly thing that people are accustomed to on church so don't implement change after you earn respect um i guess there's two approaches you could go gun blazing right away or you could gradually um earn the respect and add things over time before you subtract anything that needs to be subtracted but like the main thing I did was make sure that we're all on the same page theologically. And by theologically, I mean just the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed. So um, just to make sure that we're in the same story of the Bible and of the Holy Trinity, that like mm -hmm. uh, we worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we're going to say this every week. So that was like the first thing I added was a weekly reading of the creeds, which is in, in many church traditions, they do that. Mm -hmm. um, so I started there. And then through a Bible study, uh, I was able to get young professionals coming through the doors. And young people tend to want to commit, but they're they're passionate, but they tend to be awful at commitments. <laughs> like they're ready to like tattoo their bodies 
and commit to that, but they can't commit to like coming to church on Sundays weekly. And I think this is across the board generationally because they grew up their whole lives like going to this and that event, this soccer game or that basketball practice. So church was never prioritized and they always like to use their weekends to travel and do things, especially in New York. But it was through the Bible study that really was able to grow the church a weeknight. So, so that's where the discipleship happened while I kept the Sunday rituals as is to just do the job part of it. So it was like through additions throughout the week, conferences we would host, um, uh, starting up a podcast, like secondary theological, like just stuff I could do using the space with the title and the, and, and the location um, really brought life while keeping things status quo at church. But it wasn't until like four years, five years down the line, the church service got to a point where I was like, okay, I w- if I was not the pastor here, I would like to come here. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that's a good question yeah. to ask each person. If I wasn't the pastor, would I, would, would, would I feel comfortable coming here? And if the hmm. answer is no, something needs to change. Hmm. Wow. And maybe that's a question pastors don't ask their, themselves enough. Uh, so uh, just a kind of couple things I want to touch on context-wise. Was the church generally low liturgy or high liturgy when it came to kind of the practice of service? I would say it would be more mid. It was okay. hymns and a choir. Um, uh, it was pretty bad. Like the head deacon suffered from dementia. No one picked up on it. The usher was like hitting on women and kicking out homeless people. Uh, the church was not united. They liked the previous pastor, but they didn't like each other. I think the I think that comes from maybe people pleasing from the pastor, but they weren't united on a common cause. And there was a lot of infighting, and there wasn't a clear sense of why we gather. A lot of it was legacy issues with their with the, with the family members and the history of being Armenian and an old church. So just under unpacking all that, um, and then just making keeping focus on the main things. You know, preach the Bible, just disciple, trust God. Um, there there were literally times my first Sunday where like. I'd be preaching to the choir and no one was there on certain Sundays and the choir was paid to be there. So like I was like preaching to a paid choir a few Sundays, literally preaching uh, to the, it, choir. literally, literally preaching to the choir. Um, but I remember like bumping into Tim Keller um, on the subway, like my second week on the job. And like, he just told me like very practical advice about this. He said, just treat it like a business. You need to re- like turn around. Uh, it was cool to hear from like a, a spiritual leader, like to despiritualize it and just be like, "All right, yeah. the, your business is suffering, just like turn it around." Okay, <laughs> like that 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 makes it more tangible. Yeah. And he also said something, um, I think in a in, in a follow up meeting uh, with a bigger group, where when you preach, you're not preaching to try to reach the lost, like an evangelical sermon. Uh, you're not preaching necessarily to just disciple the current flock but you're ultimately preaching to an audience of one to God. Hmm. And it was getting to a point of understanding that while I'm preaching, it's an act of worship uh, that was liberating. So it was like less about my performance. Hmm. Um, And then also ironically, like as a young preacher, it's hard to get into the rhythm of like preaching every week. It's, it's one thing when you preach once a month, when you're like the number two guy or something, it's easy to preach once a month, but there's another like, endurance to preaching weekly that 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 just requires a stage and just doing it mm-hmm. um but i would get super insecure if i had a bad sermon and i'd feel miserable but um rob reamer uh we kind of mentioned him at, at, at one of the professors at alliance he he talks about a performance lie um so sometimes we could be performing for our identity like my value is determined based on how well i'm doing 
my work and like for me as a preacher that was it like if i'm performing a good sermon i will feel validated but but getting to that point where like my identity is dependent on my calling as a preacher versus the god who called me was a shift that needed to happen and that happened midway in in in, in the preaching process so i got to a realization my value is not determined by how well i'm preaching each week but it's determined by the gospel i am preaching and getting to that point of realization, my value is finished on the cross. I am loved by God. This is an act of worship, and this is an act of group praise to, to the grace we have in Christ. It, over time, like freed me to be a better preacher because I'm not thinking about being a good preacher. I'm not revolving my identity about being a preacher, um, even though that's what I'm called to do. My, but my ultimate identity is in, is in Christ first and foremost. And ironically, when you get to that point over time, you get you preach better. You don't care if people criticize your sermon. You don't get a bloated head when people think, "Oh, great job, great sermon." Like I could be like, "Oh, thank you. I'm glad the Lord blessed you with that." And like you literally get to that point of like um, uh, not being make or broke by people's comments post um, uh, sermon. Yeah, I think that really delves into just the authenticity of of our identity not being wrapped up in you know and how how we felt it went and. You know, because the Lord can still speak to someone through a what we would consider as an awful sermon. Exactly. Um, and I think realizing that he can even use that. Um, I, I want to just touch back because I just found it uh, fascinating you mentioned about, you know, uh, utilizing those creeds on a weekly basis. Was was that – was there any faulty theology that was needing corrected or was that more of like vision casting like this is what we're here for? Both and. Some people need to be corrected. One person met with me afterwards and said – um, I don't believe in the virgin birth. Another person said it's not a physical resurrection. So I'm like, no, these are essentials. We could disagree on secondary issues, but this is what we need to be united upon. Mm -hmm. So it's a both ends. It's it's just to worship correctly. It's to make sure we're on the team Trinity and uh, to make sure we're in the proper um, narrative of scripture. Mm -hmm. So it was a both end. It was to make sure this is what we're about. We're going to be very um, – and like we're not going to just be a Jesus church. We're going to be a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit church. And um, we're also going to be a, a, a church that is like, no, if you're going to be a member, you have to buy into this. Mm -hmm. This is not this is not uh, symbolically going to be looked into. Like yeah. you have to believe the virgin birth and the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in order for this to be what it is. Yeah, exactly. So now you know you're in a new chapter of life. Now you've you know moved you and your young family out to to Burbank, California, um, obviously there's, you know, new opportunities available at, at Church for the Nations. Um, but what was that like? Because I'm guessing you remain, you had remained at that same church in New York City, correct? Up For 10 years, yeah. Yeah, in 10 years. So I guess, I guess the best way to put it is what's then that grieving process been like for you in the process of leaving? Well, that's a great question because um... – I started because I, I didn't just leave my um, church. I also left my denomination. Mm -hmm. So there, there's multiple layers to it. And also leaving uh, – I'm an East Coast person my whole life. So uh, there's all these layers to to grieve. Mm -hmm. um, so the Lord – again, just listening to the – being obedient to the Lord. So like mm -hmm. some people will hear what I'm about to say and be like, okay, that's just you you talking. Other people take it seriously. So the Lord said like – September of 2021, it's time to go west. It's kind of time to go to, to LA. December, he says, wait till May. Okay. 
So while I'm waiting from December to May before I start applying, um, the grieving started. Because like I know like okay I'm it's gonna happen I don't know exactly where or when, but I know it's happening. So it, it took about six months to to fully grieve a lot of stuff. I'm still grieving parts of it. I'm get, getting triggered here and there. And the grieving process is like you're you're giving up a church you revitalized. It's like it's you care deeply about all the members. Mm-hmm. Um, that that was really hard, but because it's like all the members came under your your leadership. There's it's more than just like. Um, they're, they're family. They're literally family. So there's there's that piece, um, uh, and then there's like leaving the, uh, the domination mm-hmm. of sorts. Uh, that also added layers because it's like, okay, I was committed to this organization for ten years, but now I have to just go and preach to the nations mm-hmm. um, in in this this area. So so it's just acknowledging it is half the battle. Um, like when you're stressed, if you're not acknowledging that you're stressed, or if you're grieving, if you're not acknowledging you're, you need to grieve, like it's going to bottle up. So it, getting to that point where I realized that I'm stressed a little bit from the, for this move and I need to grieve it, like that was 60% of the work. <clears throat> getting to that realization, okay, this is this is heavy. Let, let me just call it for what it is. And then you just go walk through your emotions. And just that process, giving it to the Lord, yeah. You know, I've had a similar experience in the last two years. You know, there's various reasons why, you know, I transitioned, uh, you know, out of the church I was in. But even though there was some hurt with that, it was still a grieving process because it's people, it's relationships that you know, love, family. Um, yeah, and it's interesting too. Like, it's it, 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 it's really sad when I said I left. Like, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but people would be like, okay, what happened? Like, like something was, like, bad happened. Like, it was no, it was just it's very straightforward it's time to move on (laughs) like the lord said this and then you realize during these transitions who's like kingdom-minded versus like in their own little tribe Mm -hmm. um i've got to learn some of that too um but yeah what was it like for you like what, what, what helped you get through your grieving or transition uh being in a community that was kingdom minded um yeah moving from you know something that was very kind of tribalistic and where everything else is the other um, to working with a group of people. Uh, one of the things I shared, a dear friend of mine who, who's actually my parents' pastor now, um, you know, I was temporarily at his church for a period of time until I found, you know, my way, uh, you know, the Lord made an open door for where I'm at now. And I was just expressing to him, you know, like, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Um, you know, but I really appreciate it. You know, he was doing our premarital counseling at the time for me and my now wife. And everything, he's like, Joel, you know, don't worry about it. It's about the kingdom of God. You know, it's so much bigger than just the four walls of our church here. And and I'd never really heard anything like that from a pastor before who is just so willing to just be like, if God puts you somewhere else, that's where he's put you. I'm not going to hang on to you because it's you're not for me to hang on to. Right. Um, and so that was just so refreshing and healing for me. Um, you know, and just speaks to kind of what you uh, what you spoke about uh, there for yourself as well. Um, kind of that yeah. kingdom mindedness, I think, uh, is is really really important. And I think the church's broader big C church is understanding that 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 kingdom minded. It's about the kingdom of God, not about our four walls. Um, and I yeah. think you know you're you're walking through that as well in your own way. Yep, absolutely. Amen to that. Yeah. So. From from where you are now, just from, from things you you've seen, you know, you're. Wh- well, I'd like you to touch on just for a moment. What's 
kind of in your experience so far, you've only been in California a short time, but what's been like one of the distinctions between East Coast pastoring versus West Coast pastoring? I'm sure there's something cultural or something there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's definitely different cultural flow. Like megachurches are from here too. So there's definitely mm-hmm. like a megachurch entertainment culture that's that's more prevalent. Um, the church is a little more active than it is in New York, for example. I feel like there's more of a church culture, um, uh, but it's also in decline too. Um, but yeah, you have interesting movements coming out of California, like from Azusa Street to like the Jesus movement. Um, so like California is known to like spearhead movements of of God in, in different forms. But there's definitely like the stereotypes of California, like people care more about how you look, what you drive. Uh, like New York cares more about what you do <laughs> and like how much you make. Um, uh, so th- th- there's definitely some of those stigmas that hold true. Um, I mean, the weather is a lot better here. It's phenomenal. Like whenever I'm homesick, I just go outside and smile and like, okay, this is amazing. Uh, but, but the traffic is really bad. So thank God for audiobooks and podcasts to listen to. On, on, but the traffic is as bad as they say. It's, 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 it's worse than New York. Um, but yeah, I think people are like, I mean, sin manifests itself in different ways. The image of God manifests itself in, in different ways. So within the different contexts, there's always these different yeah. uh, acts like, oh, oh, this is cooler than it is on the East Coast. But oh, oh, this is not cool. Like people tend to be a little more friendlier here. So like uh, that's different than New York. It's like, just give me my coffee. I don't want to talk to you online. Like just, yeah. just give me my coffee. It's time to get to work. Like why are you talking to me? Um, but I'm appreciating that now though. I kind of appreciate that. Awesome. So from your, you know, you've had a decade and, you know, moving on in pastoral experience and, um, you're kind of in the younger, but getting slightly older age pack of, of pastors, but still on the younger side, but, uh, just from your experience and what you're seeing, what do you kind of see as some major challenges upcoming for pastors, you know, especially for those who are kind of in their early twenties, if they're considering, even younger being pastors, you know, kind of things you're seeing on the horizon that maybe you're starting to, to have to grapple with uh, that ch- challenges pastors will have to face. Yeah. So there's going to be like a sad reality that a lot of churches are going to keep closing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, um, the institution may be institutions across the board may be suffering, but there is opportunities because I think people still like Jesus. And uh, I think just the structural changes, we're in the midst of it. So like put put it into perspective, there hasn't been a communication revolution like what we're in right now since the printing press. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until after the printing press was created where you had something like the Protestant Reformation. The digital revolution um, that's been taking place past 100 years, but really accelerated with the computer and everyone having a smartphone, um, like literally you're, you're connected to the whole world. Mm-hmm. So we're in the midst of change. So like how you communicate also affects how you think. So if you look to a lot of the mainline Protestant churches, a lot of their structures and formations are based on print technology. You have a bulletin, you have a hymnal, uh, you have a newsletter. Uh, like those are obsolete now. Like now we have like digital screens, we have uh, email, we have uh, literally, you could just pick up your cell phone and apps. So mm-hmm. a lot of churches are lagging in these changes mm-hmm. and that, that, that that's just part of the way church is. Um, now it's just different and we're in the midst of the change but for younger people i think sometimes we we have a like a two of a defined role of a calling um where 
if you're not a pulpit preacher, you can't be called to ministry. Hmm. And I feel like I've known a, quite a few people who've been called to do ministry full time, but they, they don't feel maybe called to be a preacher. Um, and I think there's more avenues, especially with like podcasts, short videos, with um, helping homeless shelters or like the, 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 the more pastoral arms of the church. Um, there's different avenues of ministry. And I think we need to do a better job institutionally to acknowledge that pastors should not be a cookie cutter Sunday preacher. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't think I have a strong pastoral calling. I have more of a preaching, teaching, implementing new idea calling. But I still needed to be a pastor to do that stuff. <laughs> I still pastor people, don't get me wrong, but I don't feel like that's my um, main thing. But yeah. but my like but I have a friend whose main thing is is that, but maybe he's not as strong with the preaching and teaching mm-hmm. part. So I, I think we need to be more flexible with what the call means and look mm-hmm. to scripture. Um, I, I, I am a big fan of the fivefold offices of ministry. Um, like maybe lowercase it, not make it I'm the super apostle, uh, yeah. super prophet person and put a prophet in front of my name. But like just these are different functions that need mm-hmm. to be executed. Let's demystify the spiritual labels on them, but like let's focus more on the functions of them. Mm-hmm. So if you have a skill set to implement new churches or new ministries, go for it. If you were like a social justice, you could speak to the, the, the times and, and speak in a certain way, like go be prophetic. You know, if you really care for the the, the lost and, and, and care about the spiritual health of a local church, be a pastor. You know, if you're an evangelist, just go for it. Like the Internet's yours. Just do what you're doing right now. Just mm-hmm. literally take your phone, record something and get the word out, <laughs> like yeah. be an evangelist. Yeah, There's a very um, low barrier to entry now. Yeah, exactly. You, you don't have to worry about like distributing a, a, a track on the street just pick up your phone on tiktok and start preaching you know <laughs> yeah awesome there's a spurgeon quote that i'm just going to recycle because i love it um he talks about uh living in the bible but reading many good books and of course through the power of the holy spirit we're changed transformed into the image of christ through 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 the through the word but what have been some of those other good books um, that have just uh really worked in you or you've just appreciated or maybe it's just lighter reading that you've really liked um, I'd love to hear kind of a little bit about some of those books that have impacted you. Yeah, so like, uh, yeah, I love books. I'm, uh, again, I'm an audio learner, so audiobooks was my saving grace. Um, I wasn't really much of a reader until audiobooks came about, to be honest. Now I just download them and I could get it. So figure out how you read and learn. I think that's always important. Um, so with that said, like uh, the, the, the church revitalization I was part of uh, had a congregational model. So a book called Sticky Teams um, was great for understanding the nuts and bolts of an administrative part of revitalizing a church. Um, so like something like that was helpful. Um, uh, we mentioned Rob Reamer's Soul Care. That was good for my own 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 um, development uh, personally. And that's a, it was one of the main discipleship books I used um, for, the, for the church. Um, and then what else? There's so many. Um, like if you want something more theological that I like, uh, that's kind of a cool thing I did with some of my leaders is uh, uh, Robert Jensen, the late theologian. He's like a Lutheran Catholic guy. Um, Lutheran. Um, uh, he was like in the ivory tower of the ivory tower of Princeton before he passed. Uh, he has a group. He has a, a couple of his lectures um, recorded in the book. Can these bones live? Um, and it's a cool like broken down version of his more systematic theologies if you, if you want to nerd up on that that's what i'm kind of currently reading right now so that's it's kind of on the forefront um robert jensen's can these bones live if you, but if you want a more in-depth thing maybe his systematic theology um 
And uh, yeah, I kind of just try to read a, a, a heavy systematic theology, a theologian um, to anchor throughout the year. And then I just sprinkle it with what's needed for like executing certain things. So I'm like reading a book on the history of California right now. <laughs> so, so it's like, oh, that, ex that explains the culture. It's, it's really like, it's always been about Hollywood. <laughs> and it's, it's, it, there's always been these religious movements. It's always part of the, it's been mm. part of the DNA of this place. Definitely some excellent reads. I would also recommend Soul Care. Um, deep, deep transformation that the Holy Spirit's done in my life with but, the aid of that. But you book. have to do that book with someone and yeah. someone who knows what they're doing. To Otherwise, it could read like a self-help book. But if you read it with, with mm -hmm. someone, and especially like the last chapter and the inner healing chapter, mm -hmm. you need someone who knows what they're doing for those. Otherwise, it could scare people away. Yeah. Um, or, or it's just like a it could read it could read a certain way that's not intended um, yeah. but it's definitely read it, it's definitely intended to be read in mm -hmm. in a this in the community yeah. yeah so excellent recommendation there well hey i really want appreciate you for taking the time to join me today sharing uh kind of your journey and your experience and your uh, call to be a pastor thank you brother thanks for having me on and thanks for what you're doing and i'm excited uh what the lord's going to do in the future for you amen well uh, i want to thank uh the sponsor for the show it's blue water free methodist church we're an intentional community reflecting Jesus to our world. And also I want to thank you, the listener, for joining us today on another episode of the Pastor's Call podcast. You can find us on every major podcasting platform and wherever you are listening to this now. Uh, please uh, like, uh, share, and subscribe to the show. Share it with your family and friends. Share it with your pastor. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Pastor's Call podcast. God bless.